Hey, everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Today, Dr. Ryan Chow is back. Dr. Chow is a physical therapist and personal trainer, and he's the founder of Reload, a physical therapy and performance company based out of New York City. Welcome back, Dr. Chow. Thanks for having me back, guys. I'm honored. I had a blast last time, and I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, man, we all did. So we thank you for coming back. Um, hey, Marty. What is Marty giggling about? What is he I'm, I'm, grind, I'm giggling because he said what a fabulous time he had last time. It wasn't that good. Well, we, pay, uh, look, we, <laughs> hey, we, we paid him just a little bit to say that. So, shh. Uh, <laughs> Hey, hey, Marty, can you remind us how you know Ryan? And then from him, I want to get a parachute level background on him and reload so that we can kind of set the table for our listeners. I don't remember. <laughs> well, maybe he does. Great. I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't quite know. I, I guess it was probably Craig's orbit, I would imagine. Craig Liebenson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my first course I took with Craig Liebenson was hosted by... Darius Gilbert, the master RKC instructor, who's also a student of yours, Marty. And um, he brought in Craig Levinson, who's uh, also my mentor. And um, uh, my first course, I got to meet you, Craig, and Darius all at once. It was like a life-changing or career-changing moment for me. It just changed the way I look at everything. And uh, hmm. since you, then, you, you hadn't met Craig before that? I had met him, but it wasn't his course. So okay. I met him. Okay. I met him through a mutual client and I, uh, you know, I was shadowing him to see how I was supposed to be training this client and uh, Craig was rehabbing him, but Craig's rehab was harder than my training. So I knew I was messing up. <laughs> so um, yeah, I went to go learn from him and then I met you. I learned from Darius and I've been trying to keep learning from you guys uh, over the last four or five years now and um, trying to teach with you guys what I learned from you guys and spread it to all the rehab professionals and trainers and strength coaches and um, uh, because it applies to everybody. So I want, I want to let everybody know how helpful it is. What um, can you give us a little bit of uh, background information on reload? Where are you guys at? What are you guys doing? Who's involved? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, reloads uh, based out of New York city. It's um, on 14th Street and Fifth Avenue, it's a it's like a it's a big performance gym that acts as a clinic. Um, there's uh, on my staff we have six uh, we have six uh, uh, practitioners. We have uh, three physical therapists uh, and then myself, and then we have uh, two trainers and then myself. You know, we're we're all kind of hybrids, the the physical therapists, but uh, we work together to get people from injury up to higher level performance. Um, and uh, since the last time we've been on here, I was renting space out of the gym before, but the gym is since uh, the company that owned it has since shut down. So we took over the gym. And so now we have the, the whole facility and uh, it's been great. That's good. Yeah. And you guys are in New York. You got hit hard with the shutdowns and, and everything. So how did you guys kind of manage to, to get through all that? You're doing a lot of remote stuff or what? Yeah, that was a disaster. It was it was pretty rough at first, um, but yeah, we we completely pivoted from all in-person stuff to and like just a tiny bit of virtual to almost all virtual. And it's you know it started with just like hey everybody's trapped in their house and depressed and, and scared and to 
you know what, let's just, we were doing workouts with our team and saying like, okay, let's, uh, let's do workouts with the equipment that we have. And then we started to realize that other people would probably need to stay active. So we started doing free virtual classes and we became paid and then virtual physical therapy and then virtual training. And now um, we still do a hybrid of both. Well, your, your PT clients, I mean, you know, all of a sudden they've got nowhere to, to go and they're stuck at home trying to do this virtual uh, therapy with you guys on the phone. I mean, that must've been uh, an obstacle because it's like, you know, most of those guys probably didn't have any equipment. So that I, I would imagine everybody's scrambling for equipment and just like everybody else was. So that must've been challenging too. Yeah. I tried to send them all to iron company. So I don't know if they, uh, they did, man. <laughs> yeah, you kept us busy. That's great. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, but but in all seriousness, the, our brand of physical therapy is more about educating and empowering and teaching them how to stay active and load, meaning no matter what kind of injury is, and we talked about this last time, is no matter what kind of injury, there becomes a point, usually sooner rather than later, where you got to start loading it. It might not be as heavy as what it was before, but you can – bridge a gap between where you are now and where you want to go so everybody gets loads so everyone gets training so we had no problems transitioning to virtual because we were just training we were just doing training as we had in pt anyway we weren't doing any like massages and, and things like yeah. that so it, it worked very well for us yeah well i'll tell you i've used a lot of what we talked about last time in my own training and my own rehab for my back, we talked a lot about that and meniscus. And, you know, we talked a lot of, about a, a lot of good stuff last time. And I learned a lot from you and I had a lot of takeaways and I'm a big believer in uh, Dr. Ryan Chow. I can tell you that. So um, Marty, yep. what, um, why don't you talk about what you guys are doing that, that um, your techniques and tactics that, that Ryan and Craig and all these guys have kind of grabbed onto and uh, you know, why are they so attracted to uh, what you guys are doing? Your, your methods. You're, you're asking the wrong guy. Ask, ask Ryan. Oh, yeah. I can, I, yeah, that, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. You want to, yeah. I mean, listen, uh, Marty's the, uh, the, especially the minimalistic stuff, but a lot of the stuff that Marty, the principles that he, he teaches are, are apply across the board. I don't, I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people associate what he, he's teaching with, uh, you know, competitive powerlifting. But to me, a one RM for a client who's in pain is like, can I get out of my chair? Or, you know, or is it uh, using these stairs? That's their one RM. And when they fill their one RM, uh, you know, it's usually due to strength. Um, they can't go about their life and they have, they, they can't, uh, they have pain and things like that. But when we use strength training principles that are especially minimalistic, because that makes it um, easy to, uh, it, it's, it's accessible. It's easy. You know, if you use those principles, it's not easy from an effort standpoint, but it's simple. Everybody can do it. Uh, then you can build people back up and then, uh, it builds resilience. It gets them back to where they go. So uh, Marty, then, Marty's stuff is amazing. But don't you think also that, that the movements that Marty teaches and I teach are basic human movements that are safe to do? 
So, you know, a squat, your feet are planted, your overhead press, your feet are planted. You, you know, all this stuff is closed chain. It all involves, although it targets the muscles and the, you know, where you're trying to target it, it does take the whole organism into account. You know what I'm saying? Where you're not doing a knee extension with heavy weight, uh, you know, where the shearing force comes down on that knee. It's, it's the, you know, feet planted primal kind of movements that everybody should, should be able to do. Yeah, a hundred percent, Jim. That's, that's, um, that's what we have to explain to our clients every day. They say, why am I doing this? And so, well, right. if you need to get off the toilet, you got to squat. If you want right. to avoid being in the nursing home, you got to be able to squat on your own without help. Like, so that's a 90 year old, but like yeah. athletes, like you got to be able to, to, to have the, the leg power, deadlifting, you know, picking something off the ground, lunging, kneeling to the ground, uh, right. pushing and pulling. You got to maneuver things. You got to carry things. This is just, what we're designed to do, right? That's, I think everybody uh, needs to be able to do all those things and they're staples in everyone's program. And, and I think that, that once you, you have a motivated individual, whether it's a client or a student or whatever, um, the, the tool is secondary to the philosophy. We can use any, we can use no tool, we can use TRX, we can use a cross core, we can use a barbell doesn't matter. We can apply the principles and make folks stronger, but we need to make them stronger over full and complete ranges of motion. There's no point getting people partially strong, or I heard a good phrase the other day, wrong, strong. Hmm. <clears throat> right. I kind of like that. Um, our our philosophy is, is let's use exaggerated and extended ranges of motions in these core movements. And then we can, once you're able to do a, an ultra deep squat or a pause bench or a deadlift with a slow lowering, all other variations of squat bench and deadlift are easy. So let's show folks how to, how to deal with the most difficult way. And, and, even for the out of shape, we have modes and methods. Let's zero in on a squat, for example. The reason that most people don't squat is because they can't get up. If you're if you're a weak and out of shape individual, uh, you need help or you need a partial. So a, a TRX cross core will reduce the squatter's payload. It will literally make them lighter and allow them to experience that full range of motion, which is so critical. Yeah. Uh, yep. right? Instead of changing the exercise, you're just changing the load, but keeping yes. the, the squatting motion, which is yes. so integral to every aspect of our movement. If you look, this is real functional movement. All this, <laughs> you know, people are like, what's, well, we're doing functional training and they're standing on the ball. Well, functional training is what you're meant to do, what you're meant to do in life. And that's these exercises. Yeah, I think I think that was one of the big lessons I learned, because when I when I went through physical therapy school or exercise science undergrad and when I went through all these other courses, everyone described these uh, loss of range of motion and things like that in terms of like mobility issues. But when I thought about it the way you guys have taught me, it's. Uh, once I reduce the payload and then the range of motion returns, that tells me it's a strength issue. And that's what okay. Craig called me. Everything yeah, that's great, Ryan. That's great. Yep. Yeah. It just, and you see people start to deform trying to get into these positions because they don't have the strength to do it. And then that's mm -hmm. the arts of the sciences. Uh, to Marty's point, it's not about the implement. It's 
are you getting into these shapes and positions you should be able to get into? Right. And when you can get them there, challenge it, make it hard as heck in those positions so that they can do it with more payload. And then over time, it carries over. So I think of the full range of motion spot, squat as a it's general physical preparedness. It's uh, you have to have normal function of your muscles and joints of your body, and they should be able to bend all the way and and come all the way up under load. That's right. But that's what they're supposed to be able to do. Otherwise, we wouldn't have that range of motion. Yeah, and, and again, it's. I think it's interesting that the same the same approach that we would use for elite athlete or elite military individual is the same philosophy that we use for an untrained person. That's right. Yep. But what's funny is if we have a special forces guy that can't get down to a squat, now we're going to the cross court and now we're holding on, you know, now we're doing the goblets. Yep. So it's the same process, you know? Yeah. 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 And, uh, also the, the fact that we have archetypical, we have uh, prototypical exercise techniques, which you don't see out there. Everybody squats different. Everybody bench presses different. Everybody deadlifts different. Everybody does everything different. There's no standardization. Like there is, a, let's say, in a baseball bat swing, a tennis serve, a golf swing. Those are highly complex movements, and, and they have a, a lot of thought has gone behind how do we best whack a golf ball. And that's what we've done with resistance training. This is my – I figured it up the other day um, – this is the 56th year that I've deadlifted 400 pounds or more. 56 years in a row, starting at age 15. Guarantee that's a Ripley's Believe It or Not. I don't know about that, but it's just the Nobody point. else will try it. <laughs> yeah, well, the, 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 the point being is that this is that, that strength lasts a lifetime right. if, if it's ingrained correctly. That's right. Yeah, that's, that was a big, um, that's what piqued my interest a lot too, is because I know you can't really divorce health and, and performance. So I know that if Marty's been using these methods for so long and being able to maintain that level of strength, you can't do that if it's breaking your body down. So those, those arch, arch typical um, uh, techniques, uh, when I studied them, they, they just respect physics. I mean, if you want the bar to go straight up and straight down, uh, want... they respect physics. That's good. Put that in the booklet, Marty. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. Why, why would you want your shins pointing in any direction but up if you're pushing down through your shin? You want an equal and opposite force going up. It's the same thing I learned about sprint training. If you want to accelerate forward, you better have those shins pointed forward. Yeah. Uh, and again, if you were to, uh, the, the techniques are built on structure, physics, and leverage. Um, the, these are techniques that were handed down to me by my mentor. So, and these, these techniques stretch back into the, into the, the 1930s. If you, if you look back, Cassidy was my mentor, but Norbert Skomansky, the Olympic champion, was his mentor. Wow. So there's a lineage here that they, they've had the, this type of lineage in martial arts forever, right? Uh, the Tai Chi, the Bagua, the Xingyi guys, the, you know, the, the, the Jeet Kune Do guys, they can trace their lineage back decades, 100 years, right? Standardized, with standardized teaching because they knew this is the only way it really works the best. 
Exactly. And that's, that's what we're doing. And we're trying to standardize and bring some functionality to the standardization of these, these lifts. And once we show them to professionals, everybody nods their head, goes, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You don't build, if you were to build a, a machine that lifts up heavy poundage, you wouldn't have it structured with steep angles and strange angles. You'd have it bolt upright. You'd have it, and that's, those are the structural integrities that we stress, yeah. right? You gotta have this structural integrity that you work against. The, the reason that, that we're so, I don't know, we, we, can, we can be so picky on some of these technical points is because they're, they're important. We stabilize the shin position in both the squat and the deadlift because that's what we work against. That's the leverage that we create. We don't seek to sneak through sticking points or avoid sticking points or figure out clever ways to get around sticking points. We want to find the sticking points and we want to struggle through them because that's where the games are. Yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah. you have to do it with structural integrity or you will hurt yourself. Yeah. I think Marty, it's, uh, this is something I've been wanting to ask you for a while. And I think it's really important because as I've sifted through your work and, and your teachings with this and tried it and tried it on other people, I've learned a few things and I want to check with you is what I was learning matching up with what you were teaching is, you know, the progressions you have for the squat and the deadlift and how they're linked together and how from the bottom up they're the same. Uh, you're using your progressions from body weight to uh, goblet and goblet to uh, front squat. Um, because high bar, high bar back squat, then low bar back squat. Right, right. And then you're also matching that up with the, the, the way you're doing kettlebell deadlifts and then yep. sumo deadlifts yep. before going to a conventional. Or, Correct. Uh, because by doing that, you're... You know, I know you always mention you're building leg strength coming out of the bottom of the hole, but you're also building uh, uh, the ability, the adaptations that allow your pelvis to get that low and keep an upright spine. Uh, so you have to earn it. Yes, 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 yes. The stacked vertebrae. Okay. We don't want to turn our spine into a fishing pole when we lift heavy weights. Right, right. And, and I think a lot of people try to skip steps. And there's a reason why you start there. And then, uh, because if you start there and you implement, uh, you know, the tactics, you, you know, talking mm -hmm. about heavy, high intensity, yeah. uh, one top set that drives yeah. the adaptation. If you keep driving those adaptations, you're going to be able to get your hips low with an upright spine uh, without compromising anything. And it's yes. a stage for everything else. And um, is that accurate that the reason why you have it set up that way is you have to build that integrity. So when you do go into a con conventional deadlift, or a low bar back squat, you have the strength to get out of the hole. Yeah. Right. Well, also what we're trying to do is work the same power groove. In other words, if, if we establish the vertical shin position in the deadlift, because, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. If your knees are far forward of the bar, that bar has to go out and then come back. Right. Hugh Cassidy told us every inch the bar moves forward in the deadlift. Well, for him, it was a, it increases the bar poundage by 20 to 40 pounds. Oh, I agree with that. Totally. Okay. So again, we, we, we want to engender the straight line pull in the deadlift. 
And we want to harness that, that same leg power that we built through our squatting. Great deadlifters break the bar from the floor with their legs. They keep the hip hinge in reserve. So when the bar hits the knees, now bang, now you've got that hip hinge. We can go ahead and finish this lift. If you have weak legs in relation to your back strength, you have to start with a high hip position. So then you have to fire all your guns off to break the bar from the floor. You've got the barbell, the shoulders in front of the knees, and now you have to turn your spinal column into a crane. And at some point there's the junction where, you know, the torso, the legs meet the spine and whatever that point is, that's under tremendous stress. That's where all the, the disc injuries come in lifting is guys getting bent forward with a huge weight out of position. And now they struggle to put it back into position. Well, we avoid those positions to begin with. You either make the lift with integrity or you fail with integrity. Yeah, that's, and I think another good point about that is even if you, you do that lift and you hit it in top set, you know, you're going to deform a little bit. You're going to lose your shape a little, but something that I think that's genius and what you, you, the, the programming setup is you're going to get six days rest between right. lift. So if you, if you go in with a, you know, cause it's normal to, to feel you know, challenged at that high level intensity. But if you give yourself enough time to recover, then it doesn't, the, the breakdown doesn't start to, to uh, snowball. And that's when there's a tipping yeah. point where even picking up a pencil off the ground throws people's back out. And you know, know it's not because of what they did that day. It's the cum right. accumulation over the whole, uh, you know, weeks and months. I'm sure, Jim, you know, when you're, uh, when you're planning for your, for your teams and you're yeah. building a team, you always have to watch out, like, um, not to stack too much, uh, let's say, sprinting with lifting and all that stuff. All yeah, well, that, that was always my summer camp stuff with football. And the football coaches were always like, no, we're going to max in the squat on Thursday. We're going to max, you know, we're going to test in the 40 on on Friday. And I'm like, no, you're not. We're going to have tons <laughs> of hamstring hamstring issues. And, you some slow, have and, some, and some slow ass 40 times. Exactly. And, and so people don't really understand that, Ryan, the whole recovery thing. And, and then we do something like uh, – You'd have your running test and then you're in a tough practice the next day. And, oh, why are we pulling our hamstrings? But it never happens that day. Like you're saying, it's it's two, three, four days down the road where that fatigue accumulates. So recovery is so important. And, and you know, I did an interview yesterday and they were like, what's what do you think, you know, the key is in one of the keys in lifting besides actually the lifting weights? And I was like, sleep and recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's if I could bottle it, I'd be a billionaire and sell that. You know what I mean? Because people would be like, oh, my God, really? You recover and your muscle fibers grow stronger? Wow. Yeah. Hey, hey, Marty, you were making some good points the other day when we were talking about this. You were talking about how Craig Liebenson and, and uh, Ryan, they, you know, they, they, they love your uh, saying, get the mostest for the leastest. And then, then you went on to talk about how absolute strength can be obtained with very little time. Unlike, uh, you know, any other sport or skill you try to perfect, that takes a lot of time. Absolute strength takes less time done correctly, right? Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think my point was, is that there's um, powerlifting done right requires the least amount of time to win a national or world championship compared to any other athletic undertaking. You, you train less 
with right. pure strength training. Yeah, an it, Olympic. It's an, the opposite of most yes. other sports of every. An, 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 an Olympic lifter is going to be in the gym six days a week, two hours a day. It's um, a bodybuilder is going to be in the gym four, five, six days a week, couple hours a day. Most athletes are in the gym, and with with the absolute strength, it's just like you can't overdo it. And all the time I'm seeing guys recommending deadlifting four times a week. And it's just like, it makes no physiologic sense. Also, there's a lot of, a lot of individuals that are trying to apply explosive strength tactics to the, the absolute strength. And that is totally ridiculous. Like, what do you mean, for example, yeah. What do you mean by that? Like, you got a lot of guys out there, that are, and I won't bring up names, but they talk about, oh, you have to have speed when you're doing your squats and your deadlifts. And I'm like, no, you don't. Oh, you're talking about like general, like speed work where the percentage. Oh, is yeah. Eight, eight sets of three with 60%. And that's going to make you stronger. And it's like, no, it's not. How about three sets of eight with no, 80%? The, you know, what that does, so, so I know what you're talking about, what that does is it's a sneaky way to get recovery in while you're just greasing, greasing the neuromuscular groove. It's not getting you stronger. No question. It may, it may even, you know, it ups your heart rate or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, what and, I figured and out I like by, that. I like by that. just studying that was that, oh, what it's doing is just making them more efficient squatters by just doing that motion, you know. But yeah. so then it becomes, would you be better off just resting or doing that as your light day, you know? Uh, yeah, well, as Doug Furness said, you know, Marty, we finally figured out the light day is a waste of time. All it does is cut into recovery. Listen, yeah. you you can't learn how to really lift with light weights. No. Because I can do 60% for, you know, 20 reps and my form never deviates. Oh, and I don't perfect. have to and I don't have to think about, oh man, oh, it's coming forward. Oh, I gotta get back in line. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, you know how you're doing it when you got that mm -hmm. set of five that, that you know you're trying to hit that groove and it's 85% of your max. Right. You know, you only, as my, I tell all my clients, you only learn form with those heavy weights. You know, I'm teaching you that form, but you really learn it when you got a heavy weight on your back or you're picking and, up. And we teach them how to lift maximally safely. That's critical. Right. And you guys are talking specifically for absolute strength, right? Yes. Yes. Got it. Got it. Because, because my understanding is I don't, I don't have enough experience producing results uh, right. in a meaningful manner to having compared what Marty sh uh, showed me and comparing like doing some leveraging for me it's force equals mass times acceleration you're leveraging the mass side of the equation or the acceleration side and um, my thought with that stuff is if you can move you know a lighter weight faster uh, with less negative um, right uh loading i guess toll on your body right um no my, my thought was that maybe you produce more force however i don't know i don't know so i was yeah. curious if that's well you're always trying to lift it as fast as you can so kirk, that's kirk, what jimmy jimmy, yeah. jimmy kirk never grinds no okay. i know but what Kirk, I think Kirk never, never grinds the strongest squatter in the world. He never grinds. And that I think addresses your point, Ryan. Right. But I, I think also the word speed is screwy here. Yes. It's, it, it's, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's doesn't, you're still trying to go as fast as you can with 80, 85%. And you're 100%. Train, I'm trying to go as fast as I can with a hundred percent. 
we call a compensatory acceleration. Right, exactly. But you're not going to go very fast. Right. But by but by training, not necessarily at 60, but as you're moving up in those weeks, by training, by pushing all the way through, even though your leverage improves, that's the compensatory acceleration. The theory goes that when you get to that Kirk doing 900 for three, he's trying and his body knows how to, for lack of a better term, summate everything because it's used to summating everything, right? And doing it faster. Got that it. Makes sense. So, so that was one of the big things I took the first time I met Marty too, is, is whether it's a lighter weight or a heavier weight, you have to have the intent to move that bar as fast as possible. Well, you what I see in the gym most, I'm sorry. yeah, like I don't see that. I don't see that kind of intent when I watch people in the gym. They don't, I think part of the reason why people don't understand these teachings is because when they're in the gym, the intensities are so low, people don't need to right. recover. So all that stuff we were talking about before doesn't matter. And the right. lights, the, you know, the speed, you know, people aren't moving with any sort of intent. They just kind of see it as as right. uh, work that needs to be done as opposed to an opportunity right. to attack. Well, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, they don't know really, Ryan. They just don't get it. And, and they that drives me crazy. I just want to teach everybody in the gym. Okay, let everybody gather around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you see this guy deadlifting here? <laughs> Even though it's easy for him, he should be moving that fast, and then we're going to add 50 pounds. You know, and you get cussed out for doing that. They go, "Who the hell do you think you are? Leave I me know. alone." Yeah. <laughs> the other end of it is is lowering it slow, right? Because we all learned that the eccentric load is is uh, when you actually control it down is a lot higher. And I watch even a lot of these big big deadlifters; they just drop the bar, drop the bar every time. And yep. when I PR'd, I I set the bar down very slowly and. I realized, I was like, I have complete control of this. Uh, more importantly, the adaptations that I'm getting from doing that are way beyond just pulling the deadlift concentrically and then just dropping it. So I, I realized that's a huge place where people are missing out on gains. Well, you're missing out half of the lift. And as far as the rehab part of it, that's the really the big key, you know, because you can lower more than you can lift, than, than raise, you know what I mean? So you can load that up. And, and really work on the integrity of the spine in a deadlift. You know, I said, told this story the other day, is Phil Wagner, Dr. Phil Wagner out in Sparta, when he rehabs people's backs or they're coming off a back injury, what do they do? They deadlift now, they shorten the range of motion, they do, but it's still the deadlift and they focus on that eccentric loading uh, specifically. And, and I think that another thing that we stress is that we, we don't throw away the negative in the squat. We don't throw away the negative in the bench press. Why would we throw it away in the deadlift? Well, we throw it away in the deadlift because we can. There's no penalty. You can't drop a, a bench in your chest. You don't want to free fall in a squat because there, there's going to be some sort of physiologic consequence. But in a deadlift, just drop the damn thing. It just makes it so much easier. Plus, I call it an, an attention gathering device. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. All right. You want to draw attention to yourself? Hey, that guy's lifting 405 and he's dropped it five times. And boy, you got to pay attention to him. Wow, four plates on each I side. He is so I see strong. it all the time. Don't we see it all the time? Like all I said, time. an attention gathering device. Don't underestimate that. <laughs> oh, but that's a good point. I think I think the first point that you have that's not an option for the squat and the and the bench press makes total sense. Because yeah. when I when I watch people bench press, when they start Letting it come down faster and faster. I already know that they're 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 losing. Like they're not going to be able to come up with the bar soon because they can't control it down. That's, that's great. Be great benchers don't bench that way. Exactly. Great squatters don't squat that way. Great deadlifters, well, they might. We still we're still fighting the war in the deadlift. Uh, but again, the negatives. And, and, and 
perfect negative engenders the concentric. If you have, and Ryan, you've probably experienced this. If you have a perfect lowering in the deadlift, the pull almost jumps off the floor. Yeah, preloading the, the Yeah, the same thing with the squat. If you have a perfectly coil, we use the term coil. We like the mm -hmm. coil in the yeah. squat and the bench press. Coil, bang! Well, why yeah. would you throw? Why would you throw away the coil? The coil is the is 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 you. It's the precursor to the perfect concentric, wow. right? I never thought about it that way. Well, that's why you come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can I can I ask you guys about? Because I know the squat and the dead. I've I've learned those. You know the, the techniques, the progressions from you uh, there. I don't know the reasoning behind the, all the bench press and, and overhead pressing variations and um, where the check marker is for, for once to progress from, let's say, dumbbell uh, bench press to a, a barbell and things like that. Yeah, we want to replicate. So we, we use dumbbell. We love dumbbells. Those are best. Yeah, dumbbells. Because dumbbells engender instability, mm. right? We want instability. The reason that barbells are so superior to machines is machine training eliminates the third dimension of tension, which is the need to control side to side movement. Muscle, mm -hmm. muscle stabilizers don't have to fire if you're pushing or pulling on a machine, a resistance training machine, okay? Mm -hmm. So right away, you're 33% less effective because you've thrown away one element. This is why barbell and dumbbell and dumbbells are even more unstable than barbells. So again, but we like to start with the with the dumbbell bench press, and we like to have the big stretch at the bottom. Where you know, and and get that pre-stretch thing, that same pre-stretch. And again, this is the first iteration. We have five iterations of each of the four lifts. Okay, the first iteration of bench is this stretchy kind of dumbbell bench where we're literally kind of taking our time and really feeling the pre-stretch, making it lightweights heavy, okay? Mm -hmm. Then from there, then, and again, also Ryan on the bench press, the, the strategy that we use is we pull the weight down. We don't lower it. A good analogy would be like uh, a rubber band from the yeah. roof, pulling yeah. it down, you're bringing mm -hmm. attention, tension, tension. Rubber band from the roof. Let it go, you know? Yep, 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 yep. That's great. We built and we it's like you're doing a pull-up and you pull the bar down, and that builds the coil tension in the bench press. But initially, we want to start with the dumbbell bench. We take on on, on the squat and the bench, we take away their tension on the first variation. That's sacrilege in progressive resistance training. In order to obtain that that bottommost goblet squat position, you have to lose your thigh tension, brother. If you right. keep your thighs tensed, you can't get down. You got to let go. Look, and I learned this from Olympic lifting. I was an Olympic lifter for the first 10 years of my career. You look at the low position of a squat clean or a snatch, you can't get down there if your thighs are all tensed up and you're all tensed up. You've got to let go, then you re-engage. And man, that is the thing that they just want to lynch me when it comes to when I start talking like, lose your tension. Oh, you have to keep your tension at all times. You can lose your tension 
if the payload is light enough. And one of the beautiful things of that, which is like a, uh, it comes along with it, but people don't realize it. We talk about this all the time, the mind muscle connection. That's when everybody goes, when you, when Marty says, relax your thighs, you know, let go, let go of that tension and then re-engage, they go, oh, because they feel their quads engage. <laughs> and it gives them that, that transfer of mind muscles, right? Yeah, you, you really think about it. You, you have a reason to really You ain't driving out there without re-engaging, right? Yeah. Uh, There's so many good things going on here. So, so, all right, so for the bench press, um, before you even need to touch the bar, a lot of people have con con uh, problems controlling the bottom because they're not using the progression that you're describing as exhaling, relaxing, and letting the muscle stretch with the dumbbells where it's able to go lower than your chest so that you have extra room for when you go to the barbell, that's not anywhere near your end range. Ooh, boy, that feels so light when you go to that barbell, baby. And we give you your tension back, you feel like Superman. Right, right. And for the squat situation, that's really, that's such a, the, the squat situation, I understood that one because I had practiced it a little more and I'd been using it. And this is where I learned so much about these techniques is when I started doing that exhalation at the bottom with the pelvis, I would see the pelvis would come underneath and then the spine, the butt wink that people are scared about is actually never even the lumbar spine. It's because the upper back was too weak. It starts to, it starts to fold. And then you realize that it's pulling the, it's, it's taking the lumbar uh, spine with it. But if you upright the T-spine, the you realize the pelvis is upright. It's just straight up and down. Uh, spine, I realized all this time that the, the what people thought was excessive butt wink and lumbar stress is actually just a weak back and weak legs. God, I've got to, I've got to take you everywhere I go, Ryan, and just explain that because they all, oh my God, they, they, that gets them so mad. The butt wink, the butt wink. In fact, I started calling um, Craig, Craig Buttwink Liebenson. I, I said, I said, Craig, you know, if the butt wink was so horrible, where are the epidemic of butt wink injuries amongst Olympic lifters? Yeah, it's a, it's a myth that's gone too far. Like I have people message me. If I put like a video on Instagram, they see a little motion at the pelvis, all of a sudden, oh my God. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the body's oh, made of China focus. too. Everybody, yeah. Your body can handle and, and get into positions that it needs to get into. And, and again, with these extreme positions that we're championing, the, the poundages and the payloads are very light. Right. It's very light. That's that's overlooked is is you start with that. You earn that. And the yes. other thing overlooked is the rest period. So even if you do stress those structures, if you're giving yourself great recovery, like we're talking about with the sprint performance or, or max lifts and, and, and uh, playing the game, uh, if you give yourself enough rest between exposures, you'll be fine you know and so you're building from the ground up you're with integrity in mind and we're not just kind of like sprinkling this in randomly there's a there's a reasoning behind all of it and i think that's what get over it gets overlooked people want to take bits and pieces without understanding the whole yeah. entire it's as simple as a, as a as a intelligent progression is really what it is yeah that's hey, uh, yeah can you guys elaborate a little bit more on the exhale at the and and the loss of tension at the bottom of the squat and when you would actually transition to keeping tension all the way down now you were talking discussing using lighter weights when you exhale and lose the tension and as you build to heavier resistance that will the the relaxation at the bottom will go away. So where is that kind of transition at to where you start using the tension throughout the whole movement? 
Oh, I don't know. I guess some some people never. If <laughs> if I well, I'm just saying if I have a an out of shape client that I've worked with for a couple of years and now they're getting back, they don't need they don't need to do slightly below parallel squats. They need the deep stuff with the super light weights. I I, I never have a lot of um, normal people. You never have to transition them out of the goblet squat. Yeah. There's yeah. no need for them to barbell back squat. I mean, if they want to, if it fires them up, that's great. But if it's a housewife who, you know, who's just trying to, you know, be able to function, uh, there's no need to take them past these elementary movements because they will strengthen them. Now, JP, to your point, if, if you have ambition, athletic ambition, sure, you just at some point, you just say, hey, look, um, this is going to be a great day for you. You only have to go down to one inch below parallel. And they go, what? Yeah. Wow. And they're so strong. And uh, so, yeah, it, 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 it depends individual to individual. It's not a, a blanket rule. Everybody has a different situation. Well, like JP, when we're doing a seminar, now we'll, we'll go from that goblet where we relax. And then after we've watched everybody do rep after rep of it, that's when we'll start to progress if they're able to, you know, keeping that tension the whole time. And, you know, we'll, use, and we'll, use, we'll, we'll use the same no tension strategy in the front squat. If you want to get ultra deep in the front squat, you got to let go of your tension too. You know, so again, it's a little bit difficult, JP, to describe these techniques without visually having like a body. You know, if I've got like, you know, Riley or Jim with me and I can go, all right, now look, here's, here's what we're talking about. Verbally, it's a little difficult to get these concepts across. I got you. I think I was coming more from like, say, one of your guys down at the uh, the pole barn, you know, a guy comes in and you you're basically showing him how to lift and having him start with the, the goblet and, and do all that and work up, you know, so on a normal guy like that, that's ambitious and coming up perfectly good health and all that younger guy, it's six, six weeks. So about six weeks. Okay. All right. So this is going to be a different situation for everybody, obviously, but I just wanted to kind of hear that for a normal guy that's kind of just starting out. Can I chime in a little bit there? Sure. Yeah. For, for me, it's if their whole body doesn't deform to get into that position with the given weight, then that means they can control it. And, and then you don't have to exhale at the bottom. If, if, if you can keep an upright spine all the way down yeah. and, and you don't, you know, you don't have to like slouch your back or, or you Right. Your, your neck starts doing funny things. If, if everything's in line and you can go all the way down and all the way up without. A yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Well, like JP, I got two 43 year old women. I just started training and they, you know, they can't squat down. And so, you know, first I, you know, I show them how to do a squat and I watch what they're doing. Whoa. whoa. All right, let's go over to the bench. So they're going to be on the bench squatting to a bench and trying to, you know, go slow on the way down and maintain that spine integrity for weeks without yep. weight, you yep. know? Right. Yep. And then over time, he'll lower the, lower the bench right. until they get to a point where there is no more bench. Right. Then they're able to do correct, no weight squats. Then we give them the kettlebell or the, or the dumbbell and we have them transfer to the, to the goblet squat. <clears throat> then if they, if they're ambitious, we take them to the front squat. That's the natural transition to move right. from the no way to the goblet to, okay, now we're gonna use a new tool. We're gonna to use a barbell. What's the best way to incorporate the tool of the front squat? 
Yeah. Jim, when you're squatting, are you turning it around uh, an inch below parallel? I have no power there. I, I have to go completely all the way down, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm holding tension or I'm relaxing or whatever. I'm just more comfortable coming out of the hole at a much lower position. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, I think I'm, you know, three inches below parallel, something like that. Okay. Uh, it's probably where I feel most powerful. And actually, I don't know if I can go any lower than that. <laughs> well, that's because that's because you're old and stiff. Right. So, <laughs> and I don't think you need, you know, uh, that's low enough for me, man. That's, that's pretty low. You know, I yeah. could rack a ball on my knee and it would roll towards my hip. And that's when I, yeah, I, I just don't feel any, I, you know, I don't feel as much power. I guess if I try to turn it around, right below parallel i just have to keep going and i'm not bouncing or anything i mean i'm holding the tension coming down and just kind of bottoming out and, and coming back up but that's where i have all my power at okay what about uh the progressions for the overhead press uh is there any um equivalent for the for the exhalation for the bench press or anything like that well we like we like to we like to everybody everyone uses a pause at the bottom. In other words, you, you clean a weight or you take a weight out of a rack, uh, either dumbbells or a barbell, and you, you rest it on your shoulders. Then classically, and by the way, the overhead press done with free weights has become as, as extinct as the dodo bird. Everybody uses machines for their overhead pressing, and that is a big mistake. They're hard. Yeah, well, it's, uh, machines are great. They feel so wonderful, and you just love to be able to push up three plates on each side in the hammer strength, and you go, wow, I'm so strong, and it's like, <laughs> no, you're, no, you're not, because when you go back to regular, you're going to be back to 185, which is what you were, you know, it is. but getting back to the overhead press, uh, Ryan, we, we don't let the, the weight um, sit on the shoulders we lock it out. We take our paws at the lockout. The classical right. mistake in the overhead press is these guys, they kind of throw it up right. three quarters of the way. They never fully lock it out. They let it come back down. They let it sit on the chest and they do another one. And it's a partial movement to yeah. defeat that. What we do is we say, look, push your first rep to complete lockout, hyperextend the deltoids. Okay. Yeah. Now, lower it and get that that little bit of a rebound don't let it settle on your shoulders right. use the top as your as yeah, your make it into an explosive movement and then at yes. the top you know and this is what bill Starr said in strong shall survive you know 50 years ago you want to fire your rotator cuff muscles balance a heavy weight over your head yeah 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 that's what he did. yeah and uh, trice well, and triceps you the best tricep movement you've got to lock those things yeah. out man and your traps are involved when you shrug. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, and show also, show also, at the top. also, it reduces the amount of weight you can use. All right. So, again, we're making light weights heavy because we're, we're making you use a full and complete range of motion and we're reversing the rest point. The rest point is not on the shoulders. The rest point is at lockout. Right. So, it's Marty, at the, at the bottom no. of the exercise, at the bottom of the exercise, so unlike a, um, a behind the head press where you generally, I think the rule is Jim, right? That you want to keep the, uh, the upper arms kind of um, vertical um, or 
You lower, you lower down to the hairline or the earlobes on the overhead, yeah, on the behind the neck, neck press. Yeah, you want them level. But the uh, the front press, so you're saying bring the bar down to the shoulder. So your elbows are going to be pretty far down there. That's okay, right? I mean, yeah, that's well, the you want to raise your elbows. You want you raise your elbows up before you start to press. Not all the way up, but it's between a rack and a relaxed position. Re okay. Mat rack meaning the rack on a clean. Um, okay. So we always, you know, you get set. So a lot of times, uh, especially if somebody's super flexible or they're doing the clean, they'll actually do like a rack position for the press. So you say, okay, we'll put it in your full hand and drop your elbows some. You know, then when they drop their elbows some, that's when we talk about posture. That's when we talk about getting the bar around your head. Your biceps want to be even with your ears. Now, the, the range of motion as you get older or, you know, if you uh, have injured shoulders, you may have to reduce that range of motion. I don't mine, care as much about that. Like somebody my, going, my, Jimmy, mine is reduced, but you know what? I can still do a full lockout, but it, my, my See, motion but is you know reduced. why, Marty? That's the important part of it. Because if we have to give up two inches, you know, a person can just go to the right below their chin, but they can fully extend. I'm, yeah. I'm loving this exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care if they, when he's relaxed, what the hell is that doing? You know? And, and Jim, I find that I, I find I'm bringing my elbows in just like I would on the bench. The same kind of pressing technique. Yeah. Oh, no question. Because yeah. where where's your strength? Where's your where your power's at? Yeah. And it, you know, and it feels a lot better on your shoulders if you have your your elbows flared out. You know, even on the so, on the bench, especially, it screws your shoulders up. Ryan, get, getting back to your question, the five iterations that we would use is we would probably start you off with the dumbbell overhead press. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then move to the barbell. Uh, uh, but the second iteration of the barbell, the first iteration would be, is, is I don't know, not quite a, a military press, but a, a very solid upper body position. The second iteration would be to actually incorporate a little bit of layback, which mm -hmm. is you, you're, you're shifting the overhead press from a static kind of a power movement into the old Olympic style press, where we, we would allow a little bit of back bend, uh, and we brought a little bit of extra technique into it. Then the, the other variations would be the, the behind the neck press. Uh, I had a very famous shoulder surgeon one time tell me that because of human shoulder construction, I think he told me 35% of the population would be unable to do the behind the neck press because of shoulder pain. Mm. Um, I don't know, something to do European shoulder. I, I can't remember. You, you probably... Yeah, well, no, no, that's what they call it. Is you know, it's different shoulder construction types. And yep. he said people with a certain shoulder construction they cannot do that movement comfortably, which is fine. Um, but we like the behind the neck press. Uh, so again, dumbbell, couple iterations of barbell behind the neck press. Jim, is that got it covered right? Yep. I love I love that because the behind the neck press is like the butt wink uh, analogy right. is that. Most people just throw certain things out without any thought process or understanding of how to use it or what progressions or what loads or all these variables you can, you can control around it. And people just say, oh, no, that's bad for you. I'm like, uh, you can't just throw a, a complete exercise out that people have been doing for years. I've been doing great. Sure, it, it might hurt somebody, uh, but that's not because uh, of any exercise can hurt anyone if people don't know how to you know, choose the things around it. So I love that you guys advocate for the behind the neck press because uh, uh, that's, that's something that I think a lot of people would benefit from. And 
I also love how uh, you're talking about Ryan real quick before you spin off. It also, we will use, if you can do behind the neck press without any pain, we, we will use the behind the neck press as a, a contrast vehicle to the front press. So let's say you, let's say you work for eight or 12 weeks and you sort of peak out on the front press. You've had a really good run. You've made great gains, but you're sort of burned out. Now we'll, now we'll go to six weeks of behind the neck press. Just get, complete, get completely away from it, right? All right, now let's set some PRs in the, in the PBM, the behind the neck press, right? Yeah, and, and, then, and then when you come back to the front press, it's like, oh, man, I'm excited to get back into these now. And yeah. you'll have more power for the front press after a successful behind the neck press cycle. Right. And you can do, Ryan, you can do the same thing with a back and a front squat. Yep. Same thing with a sumo and a conventional deadlift. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the variability. It's what Marty, what, what I remember Craig telling me about Marty, he said, everybody's program will eventually plateau, but the best ones know how to jumpstart progress after you hit the inevitable plateau. Right. Yeah. yeah. Real coaching occurs when the stagnation sets in. Yeah. Mm. That's like that's like when um, Muhammad Ali says, "I don't start counting until it starts hurting." It's, <laughs> um, but um, no, that's that's I love that, and I love. I mean, it's all principles because what you're telling me about the overhead press is basically what you told me about the deadlift. When you're coiling, when you start from the top down and you coil on the way down, you're going to be explosive on the way up. That's respecting physics and stretch reflex and biology. That's just how. That's the most effective and efficient. What can you say? Also, we want that deltoid contraction and that tricep contraction that everybody else is throwing away by only doing a three-quarter press. Mm. Well, that's too because they're using way too much weight. And exactly. this the, behind the neck, you really got to respect that exercise, otherwise you're gonna just trash yourself. So okay, so so you're you're saying that you don't you're only going three quarters on the way up to, to maintain tension in the deltoids. Is that accurate? I'm sorry. Wait, on, on the press? Yeah. No, the, just the opposite. We're saying that the biggest right. sin in overhead pressing is throwing the weight three quarters of the way up and never locking out. Right. So we'll hold the lockout. We hold the lockout. lockout. We're reaching and holding the lockout. And so, when we get to the chest or, you know, or the collar, you know, between the chest and the collarbone, that's when we're turning it around fast. Bing. So it's that's down right. and up fast. Yeah. Show control at the top. Down and Heart. up fast. In, in, Olympic, in Olympic lifting, you had to hold the damn weight overhead until a referee gave you a down signal. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so when you talk about the little bit of a layback, are you? Um, so, I'm thinking that you know I want to be squeezing my quads and my my uh, butt so that my layback's coming from my upper back. Absolutely. Got it. And then that's something. Is there like um, technique? We just we, we yeah we're just basically. There's, there's many iterations of the, uh, originally the, the overhead press was the military press where the, where the heels had to be together. The body had to be completely upright, like a soldier at attention. And the, the bar had to be literally moved out and around the head, mm. right? Because if you're standing bolt upright, you can't push straight up because you hit your chin. Yeah, so the movement comes with in your hips, Ryan. It comes well, in your hips. Yeah, we call it bow and arrow. We, we, you, you bend like a, a bow. We want to create the approximately, not quite a four, like a 45 degree layback. Now, you know that the, the hardest press is a straight overhead press. 
Mm. A 45 degree incline is less stressful. A flat bench is harder, is easier yet. And a decline is the easiest of all. So decline is the easiest, then flat, then incline. The hardest is the overhead press. So we want to turn, we want to have the overhead press as a straight overhead press, but we also want to have the ability to turn it into a 45 degree incline press. Got it. Got it. So you, you lay back. That's, that's awesome. And are there certain like accessory things like, you know, not to just kind of like prime everything. Like I remember we did um, during the um, sets of warm up sets of squatting. We did some like calf and hamstring stuff, uh, prone yeah, hamstring yeah. curls, and other things you do to supercharge your ability to to get that overhead pressed. Because I love overhead movement, and there's too many I think pro sports uh, or or uh, myths about like oh you know you should do overhead stuff, and I think it's nonsense. I think people are just too weak. Do you, do you know why? Do you know why I got back into overhead press? I had bought into the idea that you you're your overhead press will always be 70% of your bench. Mm. Right. So if a guy can bench 300, uh, what's that? 30, 60, it'd be, you know, he's, he's going to be able to overhead press whatever, 200. Yeah. Uh, well, I believe that myth for 15 years. Then I decided to do a little overhead pressing. Boy, did I suck. I wasn't even close to those numbers. And that is at the point I said, I've got to get back to doing these things. Mm. And, it, and the overhead press helps the bench. That's why the overhead press and the behind the neck press, they're the number one assistance exercise for big benchers. Guys with really big benches, they love the overhead press. They love the behind the neck press. Oh. Now, Marty, you always excelled in the, uh, the front press, the overhead press. And... I guess when did when did uh, the they take it out of Olympic lifting? 1972. 1972. 1972. Right. So that's when you quit Olympic Olympic lifting, right? You took yeah, the best lift away. Yeah, I quit a little bit earlier than that, but yeah, said, yeah, yeah. And a lot of a lot of lifters quit because it turned uh, Olympic lifting into the quick lifts. It was nothing but snatch. A different type yeah. of athlete. Completely different type of athlete. Right. So that's always been one of your favorite exercises. I mean, you really excelled. And I think you had some records in uh, the, the overhead press, right? I set my first national records in 1967. I won the Teenage National Championships with uh, 270 press, 235 snatch, 315 clean and jerk, body weight 195. No steroids, baby, nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, if somebody said to me, if you can only pick two exercises, what would they be? You know, you're only allowed to do two to, to be healthiest or to be a great athlete or, you know, to get strong as a human, I would say the press and the deadlift or the squat, I guess. I, but the press before the bench press, the press, mm -hmm. when you, when you're a good presser, you're, you're lifting a lot of heavy weight. You feel it in your whole body. You're right. sore the next day in your erectors, your abs. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a full body lift, unlike the bench press. Although we say, you know, we're benching with our feet and all that. And you're trying to make it a full body lift. You can't lift heavy weights in the press without making it a full body lift. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially in your legs. My legs on the, the last rep, my legs would be quivering and shaking. It's and great. It's, yeah. and that, you know, then you, then you get done with that set, you got to lean on the bar so you don't pass out. <laughs> what, are, what, about, um, what about poles? Well, what if... You know, so you look at the powerlifts and the Olympic lifts. There's no upper body pulls. What, what do you guys think about like 
is it necessary? Is it like, uh, or what, what would you do if you could only pick one or two pulls? We, we love the power clean, mm. right? But it's, it's a very technical lift and it needs yeah. to be taught right. Yeah, you gotta have a good teacher. Yeah, you gotta have a good teacher and it's, it's better to not do power lift, to not do power cleans than to do them wrong. And get hurt, yeah. But I would say chin-ups, we love chin-ups, uh, bent over rows, one-arm rows, those are great assistance lifts. Uh, as far as pulls go, you know, chin-ups are, are really good because you can add weight, you can take weight off, you know, there, and you can do them pretty much everywhere. Um, as far as improving your, your erectors, you know, your, your spinal erectors, I thought, thought the bent over row helped my deadlift more than any other exercise. Hmm. Um, and we would do it, you know, we do our set of squats or sets of squats. And then I just, put the bar right on the floor, take off a couple plates, work my way back up again, yep. three sets, four sets of five, something like that. Progressive really pulls. Hanging in that position, not, not where you're in front of your knee. You know, that's how you're going to screw your back up. But, mm -hmm. but being able to hang with, with your rib cage up and be able to in, be in that position transfers right over into the deadlift. Right. right? right. And then yes. you got that pulling with the biceps and, you know, the, the lats who were, and the middle back really strengthens your middle back. Ryan, in our nucleus, we have four movements, squat, bench, press, deadlift, overhead press. We have five variations of each of those four. There's a next concentric ring out of exercises, Ooh. right? Right. And that would be power clean, what Jim just described, row, whatever. We like arm training, <clears throat> but, there, but that's, we uh, consider that stuff dessert. You got to eat your meat and potatoes. You got to eat your entree. If you got room left over and are still hungry, have dessert. But you don't need dessert, and never eat dessert without eating your meat and potatoes. Yeah. So somebody, one of my one of my clients says, "Hey, I, you know, I got only thirty minutes. I can get your squats in and leave, man. You know, don't worry yeah. about don't right. worry about the leg curls, brother. Get well, the big." Uh, what did Wagner tell you that West Coast Wagner when he when he was pushed for time? No, I think I was pushed for. He, it's the first time. No, he he told me that you told me yeah. that, that that Wagner said that that he was in, he was stressed out and he could only squat. Uh huh. Yeah. And that's that's all he did. He would just yeah. squat, and that was the only thing he could get in. But but that I think would be my key. I would say I like squat. I like overhead press. The deadlift I think is um, if my squat is good, my deadlift is always good for fifty more. Right, and and it stays good when your legs get stronger, as long as you know the correct uh, path for your deadlift, you can get away with not deadlifting very often and keep your squat pushing and go back and check your deadlift and it hasn't gone anywhere. And in yeah. fact, it probably went up. Yep. Leg strength is the key to human strength. It's the key to everything. Mm. Can, I, can I ask a little bit, uh, I get as a, as a physical therapist, I get asked a lot about things like scoliosis. And, and, you know, people have all these myths around it and there's all these silly treatments around it. None of them actually have great results, but I know Marty, you worked with uh, Lamar Gant, right? Yeah. And he had a pretty famous looking scoliosis. Um, what was your experience with all that? What, what, did it ever become a thing? Would you guys talk about it? Was there ever like- Did his doctors say, things? Marty? Did his doctors know that he was doing it? Uh, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I can tell you this, he was 16 time world champion. So I guess they yeah. didn't- they didn't scare him too much. He didn't get hurt. <laughs> plus, 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 he's the only guy to ever deadlift five times body weight. 
Yeah, right? that's that's nuts. Do you think it actually helped him do that? Like, is there- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a sh- he had a short dead. If you can pull up video on Lamar, we're talking about Lamar Gant, the great one twenty three and one hundred and thirty two pound lifter, sixteen times world champion. Uh, in addition, he pulled 688 weighing 132. But I tell you, this this to me is critical. At the time when Lamar pulled the 688, he had a 600 pound squat. Crazy. Okay. So there's where that there. And if you look at his deadlift, man, he pulls that thing off the floor using his leg power. Then, yeah, he had long arms and he had a bendable back. So obviously he was going to have an advantage in the deadlift. He, he also held world records in the bench press. He benched 352 raw, Jim, at 132. Yeah, he's strong, man. He held, all, he held all four world records at the same time. The squat, the bench press, the deadlift, the overhead press. I'm not sorry. The squat, the bench press, the deadlift, the total. Yeah. He held That's- all the records. But again, everybody looks at his 688 deadlift, but I say, look at his 600-pound squat. Yeah, that's what yeah. gave him that 688 dead. That's interesting. So, and, so uh, the leg power. Yeah, yeah. R- Ryan, have you ever seen pictures of uh, Lamar Gant with his uh, his belt on when he's doing a uh, a deadlift? He's got. Yeah. He's the only guy I've ever seen do this, and I guess it's because of his scoliosis. He's got his belt on backwards. Well, back then, JP, they may not have had the thick all the way around belts. I put that belt on backwards. him. I put that I'd put that belt on him. I, I handled him. I handled him at the Nationals. I was, was that your t- idea to turn? No, around? no, no. That was his idea. But I'm, I'm, he would also put it up high around his rib cage. Yeah. Right. He wants to support you in the front. Think about the lift while you're doing it. He was a he was a completely unique individual with 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 certain physical differences that that didn't make him applicable to other people. Yeah, because when when I whenever I have clients come in, you know, the people are coming to me for pain. They're not trying to be a, a record lifters. They always say, "Oh no, I have this little scoliosis. Like, is you know, am I doomed for you know my life, or am I just going to be subject to pain for the rest of my life?" And I always mention Lamar, and it gives people hope. And I also mention, um, I, I don't know, a lot of people know this, but Usain Bolt has a scoliosis too. That's pretty significant. So, I think there's got to be something there. Like, it's got to be. Yeah. My my daughter has that, and she's uh, she's got it on the at the top and the bottom. Uh, it's not severe at the bottom. It's twenty three percent at the top. It's sixteen. And I was talking with Gillingham, Brad Gillingham, about this. I said, "What do you think? Should my daughter be deadlifting?" And he said, "He said, oh, absolutely." And he starts sending these uh, articles over to me about how these these women that had scoliosis were greatly improving their, their functionality and their, and their lives by getting into a deadlifting program, the pain was going away. They were able to function just so much better because they were stronger. Um, there's a lot of good articles out there on scoliosis and doing lifts like, like the uh, deadlift. So yeah. check that out. It's mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what I, that's part of, you know, back to the original question you guys brought up before like, this is why I'm, uh, I'm so interested in the work that you guys have done is because you, there's so many insights you can take from, uh, you know, something that applies to uh, high-end performance that most people don't see or understand that, that helps us disp- uh, dispel all these, like, nonsense myths that we hear every day from the butt wing to the scoliosis, to, you know, all this 
weird stuff that's just out there and it's so common. I mean, that's why I'm excited to, to uh, get you guys um, in the gym and show, you know, no one wants to hear from me. They want to hear from guys who've done something. So, so I want to, I want to put you guys in front of the chiropractors, the, the, the physical therapists and the trainers who are, you know, it's like the blind leading the blind. They're just kind of like, you know, just spreading myths all over the place. Right. Hey, Ryan, one of the things we want to discuss is uh, the disconnect between the medical community and the PT community. Um, so, I mean, why, why is there such a, a disconnect? I mean, we were talking last time about, you know, I've, I've got these herniated discs and my doctor, who was a back surgeon, he says, you're not going to lift weights anymore, are you? He was assuming I was going to stop because of this. And I said, well, I'm going to, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do it smarter. And he just kind of shook his head. Yeah, he should have said, and, you want me to get weaker, doc? Is that good? When is weaker better, doc? Tell but, me. But that is the thing within the medical community. They want you to stop. They want you to get on pills. I mean, why is this? Is it for their benefit? It's, it's not for your benefit. Maybe they just don't know because they're not up to speed on, on training and, and, you know, physical therapy and stuff like this. But I mean, what do you think? I think, I think, um, it is some sort of vested interest, whether it's, whether it's, it's, I'm not saying everyone's aware of this and doing it on purpose. They're not unethical, but you know, I think just people believe what they believe and until they really see and understand the other side, they're, they're going to do what's in their best interest uh, because it, you know, to them it works. Meaning, you know, the evidence is pretty clear that, that, uh, you know, certain things like, let's say opioids are like causing an opioid epidemic across the middle of the country, yet doctors are still giving them out. And, you know, there's something there where it's like, you know what, but I've seen this work for other people. So I know it's helpful in some ways. And there's just a disconnect on what the research actually says. And Mm -hmm. no, I just think, I mean, look, I'm I'm a physical therapist and a trainer, I'm going to think that I can train my way out of everything. So I have my biases as well. So Um, you know, I just think that not enough people understand the research and not enough people um, have skin in the game. Like I always talk about how every physical therapy clinic that I worked on before I started Reload, you know, everyone thought they were doing a great job. And, you know, a lot of them were doing a great job. It's not a knock on any specific person, but you don't know that your clients aren't getting better because they come to you, they're all happy. And then when things go south, they don't, they don't come back. So they don't, you know, you know, you hear these stories of people, I've been to like five other doctors, like a lot of clients that we see is like, I've been to doctors, trainers, nothing's worked. Um, and you don't know that it's not going well, because that, that client doesn't come and see you anymore, you know, so it's, right. um, it's, t- it's tough. It's, it's, I think, I think if you just look at the science, you know, just opinions out of it, the science says that if you do strength training twice a week, uh, you have 50% chance to live better than people who don't. So, that's great. you know, that's pretty strong. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you can look at everything from chronic disease to COVID. The people who are physically active don't get as sick and live longer what, uh, and they have better quality of life. Like, I don't know. It's hard to argue against that. It's not like small studies. These are huge studies. You know? Right. Well, strength makes you resilient. <clears throat> right. As, as a society, we don't look enough at the preventative. We just look at the cure once, you know, the issue happens. Yeah, there's some, you know, you, and you, like Ryan said, it, everybody's like, well, I've been to 10 doctors. It may take 10 doctors to find one that's actually gets it, you know, gets the nutrition angle, gets the weight training angle. And usually takes a doctor who does it themselves, who has been in the gym. Well, well Phil Wagner's a doctor, right? 
Right. Yeah, he's an MD. Yeah, he's an MD. Yeah, there's some good MDs out there, man. They're not all bad. Sure. And some and sharp Ryan, guys. And Ryan, are, are you noticing a, uh, an evolution um, in the medical community that that's they're kind of starting to get it more, and and these doctors are actually uh, starting to you know, a, a adopt this way of thinking and sending them to PTs like yourselves to get them back in shape rather than go the, the drug course first and foremost, or what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's slow, but it's steady. I mean, I, I certainly see, I don't know about the medical doctors as much as I know the physical therapy world. And a lot of what we learned in physical therapy school and our exams are about like ultrasound and massage and all this stuff that that doesn't really have that good evidence. And there's a there's a transformation, not within the schools, but after the schools where all the continued education to be uh, centered around exercise and, and things like that. So that's kind of the journey that I'm on that started with Craig, you know, that time when I met Craig, Marty and, and Darius. And, um, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show people uh, what good exercise, how to implement good exercise. So you have to know the big picture, which is what Craig teaches is, is that this is, the right horse to bet on and that you right. need to apply it to the person in front of you, meet them where they are um, and get them active. But then, you know, diving deeper of it is also knowing the, the best techniques and tactics for absolute strength, then knowing the best ways to identify, um, you know, that, you know, whether is this actually a training strength issue or exercise issue, or is this a, you know, they do too many nonsense hit classes and they're just not training the right biomotor qualities or they don't understand recovery. So being able to identify all these factors, um, that's that's kind of becoming popular in the PT world and Good. people who are with it, they did well during the pandemic. It's, you know, it's the funny thing about the pandemic is it makes it sped up time. And and now you kind of see like the people who are stuck in massage world didn't do well business wise, but they also, you know, they're not as relevant anymore. So there is a, a subtle shift, but we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> and what and what I like about what you guys are doing over at Reload is you guys are lifters. You guys are practicing what you preach. I mean, you guys all have what uh, deadlifts in the fours. I mean, you, you got a, a strong group over there. So, I mean, how important is it for someone in, in your position, a physical therapist, to actually lift? Because I think it brings so much more to the the patient because you get it you're deep into it you're doing it yourself you understand uh more of better of the kinesiology of the body and how everything functions and, and works and all that yeah yeah they, there's studies that show that fearful physical therapists make fearful clients and if you know if i'm scared of a barbell then my client is never going to touch a barbell if i don't touch a barbell you know what i'm saying like how can mm -hmm. i protect someone into a, a, a max lift where I see the bar speed slowing down, you know, they're kind of struggling and changing shape a little, but they're still moving at the right speed where I like, I know that they're overcoming that weight and they're going to benefit from that lift. And that's the max intensity lift. That's their top set that they're, they're done for that day. Unless I've felt that myself. So hundred percent, I think all right. the physical therapists on my team have to do the kettlebell certification because that's a journey. That's something that they probably haven't done on their own now they have to figure out how to snatch a bell 100 times in five minutes like they don't know how to do that so there's a journey there that i need all of my physical like therapists that. to go through they sure. need to struggle they need to see what programming is they, they need to know that random training isn't going to lead to a specific goal so 
uh, I like that 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 you practice it and preach on the physical therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And um, do you now you being in the uh, the PT world? I mean, is there a lot of stuff that you're seeing from other PTs and other PT communities that you just kind of you just winch your eyes and and you know it's like ah I don't know that's so you know 1980s or 1990s whatever. Um, is there a lot of that stuff that's where they're not up to speed and they're using techniques and tactics that you don't necessarily agree with anymore? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, when I came out of school, I had these like, uh, gua sha type, uh, uh, scrapers. It's called Raston technique. And I did that stuff. I did like kinesio taping. I did cuffing. I did all kinds of stuff that there's no real evidence for. not saying it doesn't do anything, but I don't know what it's doing specifically and the most important thing is not that those techniques, I'm not here to argue whether those things are, they work or they don't. The most important thing is like, there's this glaring hole where this person's knee hurt and they can't squat their own body weight and it hurts with getting up from a chair. You can't scrape your way out of that situation. Like the entire population is, is weak and active and things like that. If I had to bet on what was the most impactful thing to, to influence their life for the positive, it is most likely, most of the time gonna be strength training um, and that's right. my bias. That's not everybody, but yeah, I see a lot of well, it, it, it yields verifiable results. Yeah. I mean, look, it's the, no dessert. Like, it's, it's the dessert. Like you guys are talking about, you know, arms and, you know, things like that is it's great, but you got to get the big stuff taken care of first before you start worrying about the sweating, the small stuff. Right. That's right. You got to earn your yeah. recovery. What are you trying to recover from? If you have never stressed the body, the stress the <laughs> you got to earn your recovery. Yep. Yeah, I, love I was that. just on the phone with our division one strain coach and she was complaining because her assistants never get their kids strong on their teams, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I said to go out there and say, oh, excuse me, how heavy is your backpack? You're, we're walking around with 40 pounds all day and you're deadlifting a hundred pounds. Come on, man. You know, <laughs> you, know, you, you got to be able to, Jim, weren't you also telling me that there's a lot of uh, coaches coming out now that don't train? Oh, my God, dude. Yes. Yes, they look like Joe Bag of Donuts. And it's like, (laughs) you know, it's great because, you know, what Ryan said is everybody's got to do the kettlebell certification. Everybody on my staff had to compete in something, whether it was MMA, whether it was powerlifting, strongman, every single one of them had to do it because you're not going to program something that is – you know, 90% for five sets of six, because you know what it felt like to try. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. It's easy to write it on a piece of paper and say, Oh, you can do it. But if, you uh, know, yep. if you've tried, yep. you know, um, and just like Ryan said, and that was so good, that's a journey and you learn a lot about yourself and you mm-hmm. learn how, how to train, man. You learn what, what works, what doesn't. Um, it, it is a great journey. And it's just like training for anything, man. You, you have to, there's ups and downs and all this stuff. It's it's a it's a, a great thing to say about that. Mar- Get Marty Gillingham was telling me about a seminar that I think both of you guys attended, and you know pretty much all the attendees that were there were uh, you know certified in this that or the other, and it was um, I guess you guys were dumbfounded. Nobody everybody was certified, but nobody knew how to properly execute a squat. <laughs> or a deadlift or well, again there's there, there's no standardization there's, right there, you know everybody gets to do whatever type of squat they want i mean it's it's uh, you know it's uh, it's a big wide world out there and of course the problem in this day and age is is you know we've got the curse of too many choices yeah yeah 
when I came up, things were very simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of confusion back in those days. There's the barbell sitting on the floor. Let's do something. Yeah. yeah. The waters were a lot less muddy back then. Didn't have a yeah. Lot. yeah. That's, that's the problem I, I have. Everybody, everybody comes around and that's why I love bringing guys like you who have, have stood the test of time and have won at the highest levels because there's skin in the game. Like everyone can claim their stuff works if the stakes are low. Like, you know, most people who are, are sedentary and injured or have pain, like if they do anything, they'll get better. Just kind of like when you start training, if you do anything, right. you're going to improve a little bit, but I want, and I want to see stuff that works great over time. And just like with the kettlebell certification, I want uh, everyone on my team or everyone to understand the lessons that you're, you're trying to get across with minimalism. Why? Because, you know, I don't get to see my clients three days a week. They can't afford to come in. They don't have the time for that. So, you know, I need people to understand that when you want to increase absolute strength, it's not going to take a ton of time. If you know what you're doing, if you understand how to drive that adaptation. And I want my team, my people to go through that because everyone thinks they got the best way to increase right. their bench or deadlift, but has it stood? They, you know, has they, it they, stood? they don't. They don't. Yeah, exactly. I can't say that. You can say that. So rather, rather than hear from me, I'd rather have you show people. And that way. Uh, we, don't have, we don't have a problem with that. Is New York City ready for Gallery? <laughs> oh, God. Hey, yeah, hey but, Ryan. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, no, I was going to ask you if if someone out there, wherever they're at in the country, uh, needs a PT and they want somebody that that utilizes the same strategies that uh, you know, like a reload does. How do, how does anybody find a, a physical therapist that you know uses these strategies? I mean, is there a certain network you guys all belong to that have these same beliefs, or how does somebody do it? Yeah, I mean, the first place I, I personally look when I have to make a recommendation, and I'm, I'm obviously biased, but it's first principles of movement. It's uh, what Craig started. Um, it dates back almost 30 years where he's trying to get people to utilize the, 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 the most up-to-date science on what we know works. And so he has a, he's influenced and, and um, taught a lot of physical therapists, chiropractors, and trainers about the importance of, of the stuff we're talking about. So that's the first place that I would look. Um, other than that, I would say, I tend to just go with people who have um, a lot of experience in the specific problem that was given. It's not a specific network, but like, if you have skin in the game, then you've probably had to, and you've had to figure it out. Like if you don't get fired for not getting results, then you're probably not to be trusted, right? Right. <laughs> So I think skin in the game, someone, you know, so you've worked on a sports team and I know there's a lot of weird stuff and Jim can speak to this, like politics and in college sports or uh, athletics, but in general, if your athlete's not ready and you throw them out there and they get hurt, that's on you. You can get fired for that. Sure. You know, right. like my, in my world, if that happens, you just go, Oh, you know, some other reason why that happened. No, nobody gets in trouble. Right. Yeah. But yeah. All right. First principle of movement. You want to talk about, all right, so you, somebody just said, is New, Jim said, is New York ready for Marty Gallagher? Probably not, but do you want to, uh, what do you guys have going on coming up? So June 5th and 6th, we're having Marty, uh, Stacy, uh, Marty's wife, and uh, Don Barry come to New York City and teach the minimalistic training system. We've been talking about this whole time. So we're going to have a two-day workshop um, 
of all physical therapists, personal trainers, strength coaches, whoever, chiropractors are all welcome to learn um, about it, how to use it. So we're going to, uh, Marty and his team are going to teach off of the, the uh, manual he's created. Uh, and I, I think Marty should speak a little bit more about that. And yeah, we'll just get two, two days of getting coached, learning, trying, doing, asking questions, whiteboarding, understanding when and how to use these things and how to uh, develop it. And uh, that'll be at Reload uh, on 14th Street and 5th Avenue in, in downtown Manhattan. And what's the date again? June 5th and 6th. June 5th and 6th. And, uh, Are there any spots open? Yeah, we just opened up the, the registration yesterday, so May 6th. And uh, we've already got 10 people signed up. There's only um, going to be, it's probably going to be limited to 40 something people just because of COVID, okay. but there's been a ton of people have been waiting for this for a long time. I've been, I've been advertising it without creating a, a registration link. Um, so there's just a lot of people waiting to sign well, up. So, and I mean, just, just listening to this podcast, you hear the kind of gold, absolute gold that comes out of these discussions. And this is what's going to be at the seminar. Yeah, and more and greater. I mean, because you got to feel it. Like we oh, can describe the bar path here, but it's hard to understand when you see it and feel it. I mean, that was the big thing for me. Is just feeling it. I said, "Wow, I've never felt that before." And then, you know, you get to see other people. You get to coach other people. You get to watch, and then you get to see you know, how it applies to different bodies and different progressions. And right. the reasoning is so important. So all that stuff, I think, is going to be a game changer for for my community in New York and all the people who travel to come in. I, I talked to uh, Darius Gilbert today, and he's going to drive up, and uh, he's going to be he's going to be my co-host. We're going to he's going to participate with me. Wow. So we'll have we'll have myself and Darius. Darius is the master of explosive strength and sustained strength. Mm. So between us, we've got all three. Again, when you think of strength, you, you really have to break it out into three generalized categories. The absolute strength, which would include what, Jimmy? Isometric, isotonic, right? Then the explosive strength, which would be epitomized by the Olympic lifter, sprinting, you know. And then the sustained strength is, again, it's being able to put out for an uh, extended period. And all these th three individualized types they all need specific programming. They're separate and distinct. It's as you, you can't mix mediums. So uh, Darius is, uh, we talked today and he's going to come up. And so we're going to have uh, as an extra added bonus, we'll have Darius with us for the two days. I'm um, bringing in um, Joe, Joe Foss who's going to come down and do some demo work for us. So it's going to be, um, this is, a, our, our workshops are hands-on. Uh, we, we uh, most, of the, most of the guys that Jim and I work with are elite, either elite athletes or elite military and almost to a man, they're visual learners. Yeah. So we, we don't spend hours and hours talking about stuff. It's mainly doing. So we, we give crisp demos as to how these lifts should be done. Then we break out and we work with everybody until they're able to ingrain these techniques. We want folks, this is not a weightlifting competition. This is about techniques and tactics, okay? Mm -hmm. That uh, we can give you uh, 
you know, the, the five variations of the four key lifts, if we can talk a little bit about the next concentric circle out of lifts, great. That's what we want to do. But most importantly is we want you to go away with these te techniques that will keep you safe and will make you strong. Yeah, I love that. And that's what we are talking about before is with my world, the clinicians uh, need to feel it. They, and they, they need a, an experienced coach's eye to confirm with what they're what they're feeling and what they're understanding is what, what's going on. So I can't wait for people to yeah. participate, learn, and start to implement this because um, you guys, you guys yeah. gonna record this? Um, that's not planned right now. But if, if um, you know, I, I've had a few people ask me, "Is this going to be? Can we zoom in and things like that?" And I think I think it needs to be felt. So um, yeah. I don't know. We can discuss it. But I think I think you got to participate. I don't know if you can kind of do it like on your own, like. You know what I, mean? I don't think so. I think you're right. You got to be there. Yeah. So, but, but we'll, um, you know, I want, I want these things to get out there and I want them to be uh, used because I know how helpful it's been for me and my clients and my, and uh, my team. So um, yeah, we're, we're even, we're even running, um, you know, just the, the, the 12 week periodization in, in groups in the club, uh, kind of like how you would do it at the pole barn or any other, you know, a lifting scenario where you know you take turns you got four people to a rack or whatever it is and then you just take turns to get through all the lifts and we're going to just show everyone how easy it is to to just physically transform or simple i could say not easy right now ryan i think you said uh darius is also coming out to uh reload on july 17th and 18th or no that's you guys are going to be in alexandria yeah, we're going Virginia. to Virginia. Yeah. Um, that's that's his stomping ground. And uh, okay. um, yeah, we're going to do a seminar there working uh, more on the explosive strength side of things and, and working a little more uh, plyometrics, track and field type uh, sprinting uh, drills and things like that to, to turn that absolute strength into, you know, movement. And then you've got uh, speed consultant Lee Taft coming out August 7th and 8th, right? Yep, yeah, August 7th and 8th uh, at our facility, we'll have Lee Taft, who's consulted with many professional teams, coached many young athletes, um, working uh, um, different types of uh, change of direction type stuff and speed and movement um, type things that are, um, I think, supplements kind of uh, uh, the strength side of things very well and the uh, explosive uh, uh, strength side of things. Or, or, what, was it, what, or, what was his name again? Lee Taft. Spell spell the last name. T A F T. Okay, Taft, like, like the president. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, we got a, a bunch of stuff coming up. We want to upgrade the community, not just. Uh, it's not about like keeping secrets for ourselves. I really want all of this to get out there because there's so many people who need this. You know, there's, the, you know, if you guys saw what what happens in the gyms here, it's just a big waste of time. So I want I wanted to. Uh, right. I want more impact going on, and not through me just through the all the coaches and clinicians to be able to uh, implement this on with their own people well everybody combined here is slowly spreading the word and i want to give a special thank you to uh marty and jim as as their student just like uh just like you ryan uh you know just even today every time i get on with these guys i learn so much little bits and pieces and I've been lifting for a long, long time. I've never been a coach or anything like these guys have, but 
I always pick something up that helps me in my personal lifting and, you know, just it, it, it is a, a quicker way to make myself stronger or, or uh, pain-free or whatever, but I'm, I'm always picking something up about lifting or nutrition or, or something. So I really appreciate uh, that I'm able to get on here with these guys. And I know a lot of our listeners are, we get, you know, all these guys get uh, messages throughout the week. Hey, that was a great podcast. I really learned something great today. So, and that's exciting too. We're getting to spread the word, um, you know, of all these, uh, these, these techniques and strategies and things like that. And that was one of the biggest things I wanted to do when Marty and I started working together. Um, and Marty, it's been, we've been working together for, I don't know, 10, 12 years now. Um, two, but, or three, two or three of the best days of my life. But the thing was, the thing was, I wanted to get the word out. I thought, I looked all over the internet and I'm like, well, I can find Marty's teachings here and there, but let's blow it up so that everybody can enjoy it. So with the articles and then finally the podcast, but this is a, this is a great service to a lot of people. So just thank you to the boys for, for coming on here with me every week. And I, I think we're together, we're doing a lot of people, a lot of good and keeping a lot of people from getting hurt, making a lot of people uh, realize their, their goals quicker than they, they normally would have. Yeah. I want, I want to echo that too, because there's not a lot of people who are, so generous with um, this information and the experience. And that's the hardest thing to get. You can't, you can't uh, arrive at these conclusions without many, many, many years of, of dedication, hard work, uh, doing it, implementing it, tinkering it and, and tinkering with it and all those things. So, you know, you guys have always been so generous and welcoming. So I really thank you guys for that. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on back again. That's uh, it's a great honor for me. So, well, you always do Thank a great you job. Yeah, you can come on anytime, my friend. You're a great guest and a, a good friend of ours. And, and well, let's not, see you out there let's not get too carried away. Uh, and and Ryan, again, your site is uh, reloadpt.com. Yep. Anybody yep. can go on there and check you guys out. And um, let's see. Check out Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher, ironcompany.com. Uh, wait a minute. You got to add one more because my wife's been working on this for a year. <clears throat> so she's finally got up our website, her website, really. Functional-strength.org. Nice. Basically, right. basically all things Marty. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, she, that's and she's doing it all herself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's hey, you're the cash these... cow, Marty. You're the cash cow, man. She's getting it going for you. Yeah, I gotta, uh, yeah, well, you know, I gotta keep alive. Um, so, you know, Mar Marty's got all his minions spreading the, uh, the good word all over the uh, internet for him. I don't have any minions. I'm, I, <laughs> I serve my wife. I serve at my wife's command. <laughs> That's right. And we've got your last article up. It's called Speed and Strength, Two Sides of the Same Coin. You can go to Iron Company, go to articles and podcasts at the top, click on articles, and it's right there. And then uh, for all your gym equipment and flooring needs, go to Iron Company, as uh, Ryan has been sending all his friends. We thank you very much for that, Ryan. Um, and right now, we've got uh, full runs of rubber hex dumbbells, urethane hex, urethane solid steel, you know, one of the things right now is a lot of 
a lot of uh, manufacturers only have five to fifties because of uh, the shortages and everything else going on. Is there weak? Well, maybe some of that too. You never know. Um, so check out Iron Company if you need anything gym equipment related. And speaking of gym, uh, we've got JIM Steel articles. Uh, he just threw me one yesterday. We're checking that one out. This one is called Keep Going. And I haven't looked at it too much yet. So what's it about, Jim? Just give us a little rundown. Well, it's sort of geared towards the older lifter. Somebody's been beat up a little bit. And I sort of explain my process when I'm getting ready to squat, how I'm mummified around my knees and elbows and my groin. I got, <laughs> got a super wrap around my groin and all this. But the sort of the point is, is what else is there? You know, yeah. you got to train. And, and you got to work around stuff. And, you know, I always think of Marty always said, you hurt this, set a record in that. And, and that's sort of my philosophy in that article, too. You know, you got to do it anyway, you know, just because uh, right. you got a little bump. The, the rewards always outweigh, you know, the pain you're going through or the uncomfortableness at that time, you know, so. That's right. It's like anything else in life. You got to plow through and keep going. Yeah. And you got to do it when you don't feel like it. Cause if you did, if you did it just when you felt like it, you would be training just once in a while. Most people. That's right. That's yeah. right. We know the deal. We're trying to get everybody else to know the deal. Yeah. All right. And finally, if you're seeking radical physical transformation, you know, Marty and, and Jim are both available for uh, remote training. So give them a uh, email at Marty at ironcompany.com or Jim at ironcompany.com. And uh, I almost forgot Marty's Instagram account. Oh, yeah. Thank you. At, Thank you. at the Marty Gallagher. Okay. So don't forget to check that out. Thank you. That's right. And guys, that's it. That's great. Right. Thanks, man. Appreciate this it. was absolute gold. Thank you, guys. The boss right. is happy. The boss is happy. Thanks, Thanks Reiner. You got it. I'll see you soon. All right. All right, buddy. All right. All all right. Darius is coming up to you now. Yeah. He just messaged me now. So we'll uh... <laughs> talk later. All right, later, guys. Thanks, Bye. guys.